0: Hey everybody, this is Bob Z, the pastor of Joy Christian Fellowship. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast. I hope it's a word that will encourage you today. Let's remember in these challenging times we're living that God is still in control and that his love for us endures forever. Amen. God bless. You know, the Bible says a lot about joy and a lot about rejoicing. And sometimes it's the Lord himself doing the rejoicing. This isn't on the screen, but in Isaiah 62, verse 5, listen to this. It says, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Wow. Let me repeat that. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, some of us bridegrooms need to remember to rejoice over our brides and so will your god rejoice over you that is so good and one of my favorite verses on rejoicing and this one is on the screen in zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 the prophet writes the lord your god is in your midst the mighty one will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you with his love he will rejoice over you with singing. Imagine that. The Lord of the universe will rejoice over us with gladness, but he's also going to rejoice over us with singing. Imagine that. What do you think his voice sounds like when he's singing over us with joy? That verse in another translation ends like this, verse 17. He will delight in you with shouts of joy, Another one says, He shouts for joy over you. Imagine that. You know, I never had that understanding of my heavenly father rejoicing over me because I never remember my earthly father rejoicing over me. He shouted at me. He shouted at me a lot, but he didn't shout for joy over me. So, dads, dads to be, granddads, rejoice. Over your children, so they have an easier time believing that their heavenly father rejoices over them too, right? It doesn't mean you let them run wild, do whatever they want. You need to teach them self control, discipline, respect, obedience. But if you're going to shout at them, shout for joy over them. Like our Papa God shouts for joy over you and me. I mean, think about that. The God of the universe <laughs> shouts over us. There's not many of us here this morning, but he shouts over us with joy. He rejoices over us with gladness and singing. I don't know what your earthly father is like or was like, but it took me years, even after I became a Christian, to learn over the years through reading God's word that my heavenly father is loving and that he's kind and and he's generous and he's gracious and he's compassionate and he's gentle. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love, and he lavishes his love on us. If we're going to be rich in something, let's be rich in love. God is also holy, and he calls us to be holy. Be holy, for I am holy. It's hard to misinterpret that. He's holy, he's just, he's righteous, and he's pure, but he's merciful, and he's full of joy. And he rejoices over me, and he rejoices over you with singing, with shouts, joy. So be encouraged by that this morning. Knowing, Knowing that should just fill our hearts with more joy today. So sometimes it's the Lord himself doing rejoicing and we should find our real joy in him, not stuff. Now look at these verses on joy and rejoicing. Psalm 68 verse 3 says, May the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. Psalm 96, verse 13 says, Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. Psalm 67, verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And here's another verse on rejoicing from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61, verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. And here's, here's another translation of Psalm 68, verse 3 but let the godly rejoice, let them be glad in God's presence, let them be filled with joy." Are we filled with joy this morning? Do we delight greatly in the Lord? Does my soul rejoice in my God, does yours? The message of the gospel is a gospel of joy, it's good news of great joy. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, And there were shepherds living out in fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, He is Christ the Lord. Hmm. You ever notice in the Bible that when an angel appears, the first reaction of people is fear? These shepherds were terrified. Now, I think if I was out on that hillside somewhere at night and the glory of the Lord was shining all around me, lighting up the hillside, I'd probably be a little spooked too, at least at first. And notice that this good news of great joy is for everyone for all the people, all the people. And the shepherds got to hear it first. And look how personal it is. A Savior has been born to you. right? Not just that a Savior has been born to the world. A Savior has been born to you, Dan, to you, Mike, to you, Heather. A Savior has been born to you. That's so personal. He was born to us. He was born to you. He was was born to me. That's really good news of great joy. That our Savior was sent to us from heaven to earth. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive its King. King Jesus, we, we receive you. We receive you here in the earth. And Jesus came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. No matter how hard we tried, we tried, didn't we, to become our own saviors or to be the savior of someone else? We tried, but we needed someone to rescue us because we couldn't even rescue ourselves. We needed Jesus to rescue us from our slavery to sin and not just to provide a way to the Father, but to provide the only way to Him and eternal life with Christ. And those are Jesus' words, not mine. That, my friends, is the good news of great joy. Well then, how come a lot of God's children are lacking that great joy we should have because of this good news? Maybe we've forgotten how much God's already done for us, or or we've taken it for granted, or we've taken the cross for granted, or, or maybe we're more focused on our circumstances instead of the one who can deliver us from our circumstances. Let's face it, it is hard to be joyful when you're weary and worn out. When you're weak when you're angry when you're burdened yet as believers we know that wonderful verse about joy and strength and where our strength comes from the joy of the lord is our strength right it comes from the book of nehemiah so according to the scriptures our strength comes from the joy of the lord you know there's a passage that says for the joy set before him christ endured the cross He thought, what was that joy? The joy was he was providing a way for all of us to spend eternity with him. It brought him so much joy. He endured that that torturous, brutal, agonizing death for that joy set before him of salvation coming to every one of us, the whosoevers, right? And if we have very little strength and we're weary and we're weak we're worn out. Maybe, just maybe, it's because we have very little joy in our lives. I think it'd be hard to go to Kentucky this morning and expect the people in Kentucky to have joy after what they went through and, and the tragedy and all the loss. But if we need more strength, we probably need more joy. You think? I think that makes sense? Let me tell you a little about our friend Nehemiah before we look at at the scriptures. He was a man of prayer and he was a man of action. You don't always get both of those qualities in the same person. Nehemiah saw this problem and it was very troubling to him. The walls of Jerusalem were still in shambles after the Israelites had returned from their exile in Babylon. And, And back then the wall was your protection. The walls, the gates that protected you from enemy attack. The need walls in Jerusalem, even though the Israelites had come back from their captivity, the walls were still in shambles. So they were an easy target for enemy attack. But instead of just complaining and pointing fingers and saying, well, they ought to do something about those walls, Nehemiah took action. He knew. God wanted him to motivate and encourage the Jews to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. So he leaves a really good job in the Persian government To do what God wanted him to do. Sometimes we need to give up some comfort and some security if we're going to really listen to the Lord. Nehemiah organized and he supervised and he encouraged the Israelites. He confronted injustice. He stood up to opposition and he kept going. kept going until the walls were rebuilt in miraculous time. 52 days. All the walls around Jerusalem. I mean, the guy really knew how to organize and, and get people working together. And everybody, whether they were friends or enemies, they knew. They knew God had helped this project get done in in record time. And after rebuilding the walls and hanging the new gates which made the city safer against the attacks of the enemy, you would think Nehemiah says, well my work's done here. But no, he wasn't finished. He continued to organize the people. He set up a registration process. He he appointed gatekeepers and, and Levites and other officials The broken walls were rebuilt, but the people are still broken. Remember, they returned from this very long exile in Babylon. Their spiritual and their emotional lives needed to be rebuilt too. Just like the walls needed to be rebuilt, so did their lives. So Nehemiah got his buddy Ezra, who was a priest, a scribe, and a great leader too. And Ezra not only studied God's law, he obeyed God's law, and he taught God's law. And Nehemiah and Ezra, they made a really good team. Nehemiah was like the political leader, uh, maybe like the business guy, and Ezra was the spiritual leader. And Ezra was asked to preach and instruct the people in God's word. So let's visit this scene now in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. It says, so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of everyone who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the priest brings the book of the law before the assembly. One translation says all the people assembled as one Man, as one person. Well, that's unity. And Bible scholars have determined that the size of the crowd to be anywhere between 40 and 50,000 people. 50,000 people assembled together as one person. The people told Ezra, bring out the book of the law of Moses. They didn't want to just look at it. They wanted to hear from it. These people were hungry for God's word. They... Believed they had learned their lesson from their rebellion and what it cost them. There was this collective hunger among the people. They didn't need to be urged to hear God's word like we do sometimes. They were eager to receive it. And the amazing thing to me is look how long Ezra preached the word. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Daybreak till noon. That's like five or six hours. What's even more amazing? It says, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Nobody nodded off. Nobody started scrolling through Instagram. All the people, not some of them, not most of them, but all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Man, that's every pastor's dream come true. All the people, not just the theology majors or the Bible scholars, all the people listened and they listened attentively to the word. Remember, there's 40,000, 50,000 people. They were not only prepared to hear the word, but they were prepared to submit to the authority of the word so it would transform their lives from rebellion to obedience. They sure didn't want to go back to Babylon. So all the people listened attentively. You know, we hear the scriptures so often, certain verses so often. we, We can just tune it out, thinking, I already know that. We're so familiar with that passage, we think we already know what it means. But we should take a cue from these Jews and listen attentively to the word so we don't miss anything. We, we need to listen attentively to every verse and ask Holy Spirit to show us, how does this verse apply to my life? Where am I in this story? Who am I more like in this story? What's got to change in my life? That's what it's there for. Ezra preached for five or six hours. And it didn't say that half the crowd left after the first hour. It didn't say any of them left for that matter. All the people listened attentively. What an incredible scene this must have been. Five or six hours. No worship band, no strobe lights, no fog machines, no awesome videos, no PowerPoint slides, no comfy seats to sit in. It doesn't sound like the preaching was really eloquent or animated. It doesn't sound like Ezra delivered this sensational sermon with some visual props. He, he preached straight from the Word, straight from the Scriptures, reading the law for hours on end and explaining the meaning to all those who could understand. And Ezra had a bunch of like associate pastors and Bible teachers with him, standing on both sides of him. He was up on this big platform. Look at verse 5 and verse 6. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. All of them. All of them stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, amen. All of them. Ezra opens the book. All the people stand. Ezra praises the Lord. All the people raised their hands. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Wow. What a scene that must have been. They truly were assembled as one person. That was like complete unity with this crowd of 50,000 people. And the more the people listened to Ezra preach the word, the more convicted they got. And at times, Ezra just had to stop reading to praise the Lord. The glory of the Lord must have come down to heavy as everyone raised their hands in praise, responded, Amen, Amen. And in brokenness and repentance, the people bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. When was the last time we did something like that? I mean, just picture that. Four forty, fifty thousand people with their faces to the ground worshiping the Lord. Feeling the weight of their rebellion and their disobedience, but so thankful for their restoration. And then they stood back up to experience more. And this went on for five or six hours. Don't worry, I'll have this out of here by four o'clock, I promise. There was no manipulation from the pulpit. They didn't play just as I am, 10 or 20 or 30 times until somebody responded. We don't read of any dramatic testimonies being shared. These people were hungry for the word. They simply had ears to hear everything God said to them in his word through Ezra. Do you think God wants to move the hearts of his people like that today? Yeah, yeah, I believe he does. I, I believe the kind of revival and restoration we see happening in God's people in this chapter of Nehemiah that requires a ministry and a congregation that's as excited by the scriptures as Ezra and his huge group of people were. A half day of preaching wasn't enough for these spiritually hungry Jews. They wanted more of God's word. So they formed groups, and all of Ezra's associate pastors and the Bible teachers who, who stood up there with him, they helped Ezra lead Bible study that day. From the tribe of Levi, Ezra assigned 13 men, it says. Levites, who assisted the priests in worship and teaching. They helped teach. The Bible tells us these Levites instructed the people in the law while they were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Sounds like discipleship and Bible study to me. And as the people understood God's law, as it began to really sink into their hearts... They began to weep. They began to weep and mourn over their sin. Look at at verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. All the people. There's that unity again. All the people. I mean, try to picture 50,000 people bowing down, their faces to the ground, weeping, mourning over their sin. Maybe, maybe some of you are thinking, gee, Bob, I thought this was a message about joy. I, it is. I promise you. It is. But God's word was like a sledgehammer, man. It just shattered the people's pride and their arrogance and their weeping. It must have echoed over the hills for miles. I tried to imagine what would 50,000 people Weeping out loud at the same time sound like that'd be pretty weird. That'd be pretty eerie, I would think But the brokenness that was there and the healing that was coming and the restoration that was coming So do you think this is what a what a true awakening looks like? Is it a word from God at just the right time that is so piercing that people are are driven to their knees? Because they're broken and they're weeping and repenting before God. Is that all it takes to change their hearts. Imagine just unconverted people trying to just carry on these days under all the stresses of life with money problems and marriage problems and relationship problems and health problems, work problems, hurting people, confused people, frustrated, angry, scared people, afraid. This life has no real meaning. A person like that has no joy. A person like that doesn't have much hope. Because nothing they try satisfies that inner thirst, at least not for long. They can numb the pain, but it's still there. And what they need, whether they realize it or not, is that genuine joy of Jesus to touch them in the midst of their pain and sorrow and suffering. Now let's understand something. This Nehemiah and Ezra-led revival and restoration in Jerusalem, it wasn't for the lost heathens. It was for the backslidden children of God. It was, the Lord was trying to restore His people. He's trying to deliver them from their bondage and, and baptize them with His joy to make them strong in the faith. And the testimony He wants to bring out of His people is one of lasting, genuine joy. This is the kind of joy that comes from true repentance and trusting and living by the Word of God. That's the kind of joy that gives his people strength. That's the kind of joy that draws sinners to his house and to his word. And here in the eighth chapter of Nehemiah, all the people had been weeping and repenting over their sin. And Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites, they told him, Hey, everybody, all 50,000 of you, even you guys way in the back, this day is sacred. It's sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. And then in verse 10, look at what Nehemiah tells him. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. And here it is. Do not grieve. For the what? The joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Go and enjoy Choice food and sweet drinks. You didn't know they had cream soda back then, did you? (laughs) And send some to those who have nothing prepared. He's telling the people, you go. You go and enjoy, but share it, okay? He's connecting celebration with giving. Don't keep it all for yourself. Share it. He said, this day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. As you look around at different churches and different congregations, this deep... Abiding joy seems to be missing in a lot of places. Do people hunger for God's word like they did in Nehemiah's day? Do you? Do I? We need to commit our lives to living by biblical principles, not what our culture is trying to brainwash us with. We can't expect to obtain heaven's joy if we're living by worldly standards i repeat that. We can't expect to obtain the joy of heaven if we're living by the standards of this world. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Believe me, I've tried more than once. It doesn't work. When King David disobeyed, he lost the joy that can only be restored by true repentance and obedience. David knew that that's why he prayed in psalm 51 have mercy on me O god wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin creating me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me And then he says restore to me the joy the joy of your salvation right for the joy set before him Jesus endured the cross. He's saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The people in Nehemiah chapter 8, they needed their joy restored. And maybe you and I need our joy restored this morning. Ezra and Nehemiah are basically telling all the people, weeping, hey, all of you came here today hungering for God's word. And you listened to it. You paid attention to every word. And you allowed it to penetrate and work in your heart. And it broke your heart. And it caused you to repent. And you've wept and you've mourned. And and God is pleased. And now it's time to rejoice. Take out your tissues and wipe away your tears. This is a time for joy. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not on the screen, but after Nehemiah said all this to the people... Verse 12, it says, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy. Do you hear that? To celebrate with great joy because now they understood. Now they understood the words. It was taught to them and it penetrated their hearts. They got it. Now they got it. The people truly understood that the joy of the Lord was their source of their strength. The same goes for us right here. Only the joy of the Lord supplies us with true lasting strength. We can talk about how we've been walking with the Lord for the last 5, 10, 20, 30 years, but but if we're not fully trusting Holy Spirit to give us deeper revelation of God's Word so we can apply it to our lives, then our joy is only going to be short-lived. It won't last. We've got to keep hungering for His Word. That's where our real joy begins and continues. So how do we maintain that joy of the Lord? So it doesn't die out. We do it the same way we obtained His joy in the beginning. We love, we hunger, and we obey His Word. We walk in obedience to His Word. We can know this Word front and back, but not obey it. We've got to walk in obedience to his word. And the only way we can do that, I know it's the only way I can do that, and not in my strength, the only way we can do that consistently is by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And if you haven't asked Holy Spirit into your life yet, don't keep putting that off. Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts. Will we open the door and invite him in? I sure hope we've all done that. If not, we need to talk. Because we come into a saving faith in Christ, and we realize that in Christ we can come boldly, we can come confidently to his throne of grace in our time of need, man, that should fill our hearts with peace and assurance because we know we belong to him. We're no longer orphans. We're his beloved children, right? He already paid the price. He purchased us with his precious blood on the cross. We're no longer facing God's wrath. The judgment for our sins will never be on us again because God has already judged them through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. We've been given a righteousness by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not by any good works we've ever done. It's by grace, through faith in Christ. And we have a blessed peace and joy in our hearts knowing that God has forgiven all of our sins. Past, present, future. If, if we're in Him and He's in us, right? That's the key. Are we in Christ? Is Christ in us? Make sure of that. If you're not sure, we got to talk before you leave. This is the Word of God. All of this—it's the Word of God—and it's about believing and obeying the Word of God. This is the hope that brings every believer into unspeakable joy and rest and peace. And this joy, this, this joy of the Lord, man, that's our daily strength. It's the strength we need to stand up to anything this world throws at us. And boy, it's really trying to take us down, isn't it? So may the Lord bless all of us with His joy on this Sunday of joy here at joy and may his joy become your strength and may his joy become my strength may his joy become our strength amen let it be so let's pray i'm going to ask you to stand come next sunday it's the last sunday of the advent season special time with angels and shepherds and we'll throw some pizza in if you've signed up let me know what kind of pizza you want clipboards out there Bring somebody with you. We're going to have a blessed, joyful, peaceful, restful, hopeful, loving time together. Thank you, Lord, for the truth in your word. Thank you for the promise in your word. Thank you that we can look at this old, old story, but yet it, it can become fresh today and, and apply to our lives. Where, where do we fit in this story? Right? What has to change in my life? Who am I more like in this story? God is there for our benefit let us not dismiss it as just just some old story, but it's life-changing, your life-changing. You came to rescue us, and we, we celebrate that. We're, we're at this time of year, we, we're anticipating, we're preparing um, to celebrate your arrival, your first advent, your first coming, but we also need to be preparing In anticipating your second advent. That word advent comes from a Latin word for arrival or coming. Because you said you're coming back for your bride, for your church. We sure don't want to miss out on that. So give us uh, wisdom. Give us strength. Give us revelation into your word. Let us be able to see what you're doing in the world today. It's so confusing. Uh, There's a a plot to just keep us so busy, so distracted, that we won't even be able to think about um, what's really true and what's not. Help us. Expose all the deception out there, Lord. Expose it. Expose that Haman spirit. You know, Haman tried to build those gallows for Mordecai and he ended up getting hung in his own gallows. So expose that, that Haman spirit that's out to, to bring us down. And, and um, we pray for our leaders in our nation, in our cities, in our states. We pray, Father, for godly leadership to reign either convert those that are not following your standards or remove them and replace them. We pray for our Supreme Court. We pray for the Senate, the Congress. We pray for the White House. Lord, we pray for those people in Kentucky and Illinois and Arkansas and Tennessee. This won't be the last one, unfortunately, but we're praying, Father, that we keep our eyes on you. Like King Jehoshaphat said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let us always keep our eyes on you. And may your joy be our strength in Christ's name. Amen and amen.